Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord again on a Thursday night. Amen. Amen. Enjoy the presence of the Lord that we feel. Amen. And God has a plan for this service. I believe that every time that God's people get together in the house of the Lord, that God has a plan. Amen. And sometimes his plan comes to fruition and sometimes it doesn't. But if it doesn't, it's not his fault. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. If we don't get what God had for us, it's not on him. Amen. It's on me. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. If you turn with me in your Bibles tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Amen. And verse number 51. Amen. Praise God. This might just be a little bit different tonight. And I don't apologize for that. Amen. I've got a good launching point, and I don't know where we're going to land. Praise God. Amen. But we're going to launch it and see what happens. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen, amen. My title is going to make no sense right now, but amen. Hopefully, before we're done, it will. Praise God. But for a little bit, I want to preach fix bayonets and charge. Praise God. Can you raise your hands? Ask the Lord to have his way in this place tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we need you tonight, Jesus. God, we need your touch. We need your presence in this place. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God, you're wonderful, you're mighty, God. Lord, we're asking, God, that your perfect will would be done tonight, God. That you would have your way in this place, Lord. I need your touch tonight. need your help, God. I need you tonight, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen. Can you lift up your hands and magnify him again? Oh, you're wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God. Amen, amen. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. We have read here a scripture, passage of Scripture, amen, that is very intriguing to me anyways because this is kind of what I'm looking forward to. Amen. When we will be changed and the corruptible will put on incorruption, the mortal will put on immortality. 
Amen. Then will be come to pass the saying where death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. Because the ultimate victory that we are going to have in our walk with God doesn't happen in this life. Amen. But our ultimate victory happens when we make it to the other side, when we finally stand face to face with him, when we finally walk on streets of gold beside the crystal sea, when we can cast our crown at his feet, crying, holy, holy, holy. That's when victory will ultimately come. Hallelujah. Death is swallowed up in victory. We won. We won the fight and we finished the race. And all of a sudden, victory's ahead. The prize is there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. It's exciting to think about it. Amen. To think about where we're headed to. Amen. But we're not there yet. Hallelujah. He's given us that victory. But there are some things that he left us to do. He said, therefore, if you want to experience this thing, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. According to Thayer's Greek definitions, it says sitting or sedentary. Amen. Try to sign that one. Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Firm immovable steadfast amen if you're going to be steadfast you got to have a made up mind hallelujah you're not steadfast if you're waffling this way and that way but to be steadfast you got to be sitting in one spot immovable you've got your mind made up it takes repentance it takes baptism in Jesus name for the remission of sins you must be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in an unknown tongue we must live a holy and separated life under him My mind's made up. I know that's what I've got to do. I know that's what it takes. I'm going to be steadfast. Amen. Doesn't matter what my friends think. Doesn't matter what my family thinks. Doesn't matter what that one I love thinks. It still takes repentance. It still takes baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It takes holiness without which no man shall see God. And it says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Hallelujah, we can get so worked up about the holiness part or the basic gospel part, but I'm telling you, you better follow peace with all men, not back in the corner whispering and spreading rumors and stabbing backs, but following peace with all men. Steadfast. Mind made up. I'm not going to be the one that is sowing discord. I'm not going to be the one that stops revival because of little differences. But my mind's made up. I'm not willing to step back. I'm steadfast. Because the apostle said, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Which means not to be moved from its place. Unmoved. Metaphorically, it means firmly persistent. 
unmovable. Kind of go together. Amen. My mind's made up. My feet are planted. And I'm not moving. Hallelujah. No matter what pressure comes uh, or who's applying the pressure. I don't know why I'm going there tonight. But I'm telling you, there's going to be some folks uh, that come and try to apply the pressure uh, and try to get you to change your mind uh, or sway your mind this way or that way. Uh, Or maybe you say, well, this church down the road does it this way. I don't care what they do. I made up my mind a long time ago. I'm going to follow the word of God. I don't care who steps back. I don't care who steps aside. I'm going to be unmovable. I've got my mind made up. Hey, man, there's some folks that I thought would never move, but all of a sudden we're seeing them move a little bit. But I'm telling you, I want to see heaven. I want to make heaven my home. And to get there, I've got to be steadfast. And I've got to be unmovable. Hallelujah. I've got to be firmly persistent in my belief of truth. It has to be settled in my mind. Woo. Young people don't just say it's because daddy says it this way or mama says it's this way or, or pastor says it's this way. You better get it settled in your mind. You better get a hold of it and bury it in your heart and become settled in your own mind. Hallelujah. Hey, man, I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with you tonight that there were some times that I came to church because mama and daddy said I was going to church. Because if you lived in my daddy's house, you went to church. Every time the church door was open, unless she was working. Hey, man, there were times that my dad pastored our Spanish work. I don't speak Spanish. But let me tell you something. When there was Spanish service going on, guess who was sitting there? That's how daddy was. Amen. And so there were some times that I was there because I had to be. But because he made me come, there came a day when I made up my mind. Amen. That this was the only way. I made up my mind that I was going to live this thing with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength, with my whole being, because I love it. It's my life. This gospel is my life. This way is my life. The church is my life. Amen. We've got to be settled, unmovable. Always abounding. The work of the Lord. Amen. I was doing some studying on this little passage, this phrase today. Albert Barnes in his commentary, Barnes notes, I'm going to read what he said. He said, always engaged in doing the will of God. In promoting his glory and advancing his kingdom. The phrase means not only to be engaged in this, but to be engaged diligently, laboriously, excelling in this. The work of the Lord here means that which the Lord requires. All the appropriate duties of Christians. Paul exhorts them to practice every Christian 
virtue and to do all that they could do to further the gospel among people, abounding in the work of the Lord, promoting his kingdom, promoting his glory. When we're about his work, it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about his kingdom. Hallelujah. I'm not in this trying to build up a name for myself. I ain't nothing. But I'm telling you what, I want to do what I can to make his kingdom advance and to make his kingdom grow and to spread his gospel and to do what he has asked me to do and to do it with all of my might. Hallelujah, there's some things that he has asked of us. There's some things he's required of us. And I believe that we ought to do it with our whole heart, with our whole mind, fully devoted to him. I don't believe that he saved us to sit on a church pew. Amen, I do believe that we ought to be faithful to the house of God and we ought to be here at every opportunity. Amen. That it should be our top priority to be in the house of God. I believe that's what the word of God teaches. But I'm telling you, we can't just live for him when we're inside this building. We can't just pretend to be something inside this building. But we better be the same thing out there that we are in here. We better love him out there as much as we love him in here. We better be willing to fight for him out there as much as we will in here. Hallelujah, we've got to abound in the work of the Lord. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, but we ought to abound in his work. Hallelujah. And then he said, your labor, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That word vain means empty. Whoo. Your labor is not empty, folks. Your labor for the kingdom of God is not without a cause. Hallelujah. There is a purpose to what we are doing. Witnessing is not a worthless enterprise. Inviting folks to church is not a worthless, empty thing. Outreach is not empty. Working on the house of God or in the house of God, it is not empty. Living like God wants us to live out there is not empty. Hallelujah, there's a reward. Amen. If we'll abound in the work of the Lord. Praise God. Didn't always say it would be easy. Didn't always say that those blessings are going to come about right away either. Amen. And there seems like sometimes we can invite folks for a long time and they never show up or nobody will show up. And we wonder, why am I even doing this? I'm wasting my time. Honey, you ain't wasting your time. When you're working for the kingdom of God, you're not wasting your time. Amen. You're putting down work into his labor. You're out there plowing the fields. You're out there planting seed. And I'm telling you what, there's never been seed planted that God has not brought forth a crop and a harvest. Hallelujah. We can't choose when the harvest time comes, but he told us to get out there and spread the seed, to get out there and work in the field, and God will cause it to raise up, and God will bring the harvest if we're willing to get out there and work for the kingdom of God. 
whether it's in our personal life or in revival in this church, I'm telling you, we've got to work, work, work. Your labor's not in vain. It's not empty. But you're going to reap if you don't quit. You're going to reap if you don't faint. Just keep working. Just keep working. Let your labor, let your labor go for it. Abound in the work of the Lord. Abound in the work of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. The story I've preached about several times over the last couple of weeks, and man, we're going to do it again tonight. To pull something different out of this story. Found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 24. It says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, speaking of Goliath, fled from him and were sore afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel as he come up, and it shall be the man who killeth him. The king will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter make his father's house free in Israel. David spake to the man that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? With whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Eliab, amen, that great big older brother of David's, Amen. That was obviously too scared to go fight Goliath himself. Amen. When David was standing up wondering what was going on, instead of trying to encourage him, began to try to tear him down. Praise God. Began to belittle him, saying, Where are those few sheep? You're nothing but a young man whose responsibility is very small. You're nothing special. He said, in fact, I know why you're here. You're just here to see the fight. You're just here because you want to you know, find out the news of it so you can go home and brag about it to your friends. Because I know the naughtiness of your heart. Tearing him down. And David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? Can I tell you that no matter what we try to do in life, there are always going to be somebody. That'll be there to knock us back down. To nitpick, belittle. But I want to ask you tonight, is there not a cause? Hallelujah. Doesn't matter if it's family. Family has a way sometimes of, of really knocking you down. Amen. Especially when you're stepping out in boldness in the kingdom of God. Your family's seen you every day of your life. They know your weaknesses. They know your faults. Amen. They can sit there and try to tear you down. But I'm telling you, there's a cause that's worth fighting for. 
Doesn't matter who's trying to tear us down. Doesn't matter who's wrapping their jaw. I'm telling you, it's still a cause that's worth fighting for. Hallelujah. It's a cause uh, that's even worth dying for if we have to. Uh, it don't matter who's yapping their jaw. I'm going to step out uh, if God calls me, uh, if God has chosen me, uh, if God's leading me, uh, and God's directing my footsteps. Uh, I don't care uh, who the naysayer is. Uh, I don't care who might be running their mouth. Uh, is there not a cause? Uh, I'll step out. Uh, I want to fight for his kingdom. Hallelujah. David went on to say that he would fight Goliath. Oh, we know, tried to give David his armor. He refused it because he had not fought with it. He had not trained with it. He had not proved it. But he had faith in his sling. It was tried, it was tested, and it was proven. We have a weapon tonight that's been tried. It's been tested. And it's been proven. Y'all ain't getting this tonight, I don't think. I, I, somehow I'm not getting through, but I'm telling you, we have a weapon. It's the only weapon we've got. And it's been tried and it's been tested. But I'm telling you, it's proven over and over and over again that his word is right. His word is true. His word is there. It's that powerful weapon. If we'll use it. Hallelujah. Jesus was out in the wilderness. He fasted 40 days. Then that old tempter came and tried to tempt him. But every time he tempted him, Jesus looked at him and said, It is written. Let me tell you something. Every time the enemy steps in, if you know the word, you can say, It is written. This is our weapon. We don't have anything else. We've got the word of God. So use it. He went to the brook, picked five smooth stones, faced Goliath. Verse number 42, 1 Samuel 17. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. The Philistine said unto David, am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me. I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Amen. A champion of many battles. Well tested. Well armed. Great armor. So he had a good defense. He said, Come on. You're nothing but a little punk. Come on up here. I'm going to spread you out and feed you to the beasts of the field, the birds of the air. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, take thine head from thee, 
And I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He said, not only, he, you know, he said he was going to feed David to the field. David said, I'm going to feed a bunch of y'all. <laughs> not just you. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. Hey, David was saying, I'm just the instrument in the hand of God. It's not my battle anyways. It's not my fight. I'm just here. The battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. Amen. He got up and he said, this ain't going to be too much work. It's going to be easy. And he, he was probably just a little bit upset. But the Bible said that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. At the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. There was no sword in the hand of David. This great champion stepped out. He got up, he got his sword, he got his shield and he headed towards David. Probably in the back of his mind thinking the closer I get to this kid, eventually he's going to turn around and run for his life. Can you imagine the shock on his face when David got up and eagerly ran towards him? He wasn't scared of him. He did not run away, but he headed right towards the enemy. Hallelujah, he didn't sit back in a defensive posture, didn't wait for Goliath to make a move and respond to it. He said, no, he ran right towards him. He said, I ain't gonna give you a chance because the battle is the Lord's. Yeah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, There's no point in running away from an enemy. There's no point in being intimidated by the enemy that has attacked this church of the last few weeks. Hallelujah. And folks, if you think we've done won the battle and it's over with, you're fooling yourself. Hey man, it ain't over yet. There's still some fighting to be done. We can't sit back and begin to reflect and think about how great services have been over the last few weeks. Honey, we got to get up and push the battle. We've got to get up. That enemy's still out there. He might be weakened. He might be battered a little bit, but he's still standing. And it's time to go towards him. It's not time to sit back and let him regain his strength. It's not time to let him get set and come against us again. It's time to get up and head towards the enemy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I tell you what, there comes a point in any battlefield, amen, where the enemy begins to weaken and you've got to press the attack. 
I believe, and I felt this in prayer all week, that this is that moment that we've got to press the attack. We've got to pick up the intensity and go after that enemy. He might be reeling a little bit, but it's time to go take his head off. Hallelujah. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6. Amen. A familiar passage of scripture. Found in verse number 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Folks, it's not about how strong we are. It's not about how tough we can be. But be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. His arm is not short. Is he? I'm telling you what, he's not weak. If we lean on his strength and we're strong in him. Amen. I can't remember the exact words of the scripture, but there's a word that says to beware. Lest you, if you stand and lest you fall, you think you're strong enough to stand on your own. You're setting yourself up for a fall. Hallelujah, but I'm telling you what, we're standing here tonight because of his strength and because of his power. Hallelujah, it's not because of my might. It's not because of my ability. It's not because I'm so spiritual. It's his strength and it's his power. He said, put on the whole armor of God. Amen. There's no point in putting on parts of it. He said, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we've been wrestling, folks. And as long as you're walking on this earth, you're going to be wrestling. It may be different spirits. You may conquer one, but there's going to be another one rise up. The enemy's not going to give up. That's why you better put on the whole armor of God and keep it on. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. The second time he said it, the whole armor of God. That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins good about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Wherewith ye shall. Remember, that word shall implies a promise. You shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
He went on, this is still an incomplete sentence, but he said, praying always with all prayer, supplication in the spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Praise God. A little side note. Amen. It's all one thought. There's no period, question mark, or exclamation point anywhere in there. But he continued the thought, praying always for all saints. And then he said, for me. We ought to pray one for another. But I'm telling you, you better pray for your pastor. Amen. Not just right now while he's going through a hardship, while he's hurting right now. But I'm telling you, every day of your life, you better get up in the morning and take your men of God and take him to the altar and pray for him that God would strengthen him. Pray for him that he can open his mouth with boldness. Hallelujah, if you're struggling, you pray for your pastor. He'll preach what you need. He'll boldly proclaim the gospel. Hallelujah, if you need to hear from God, pray for your pastor, and God will speak through him and help you. Hallelujah, I tell you what, it is a very, very important part of spiritual warfare to lift up your man of God in prayer every day. Hallelujah. I'm just going to tell you, I'll be a little honest with you tonight. You don't know what he faces till you've walked in those shoes. You don't know what it's like to have people's souls and you're responsible for them. When you have a commandment from God to feed the flock over which he hath made you an overseer. You say, oh, but when he stands in that pulpit, sometimes he slaps me around. Honey, he's trying to feed the flock. He's trying to keep you from falling. He's trying to keep you from going the wrong direction. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, I was, was, as the little cliche goes, all boy growing up. And, uh, and, uh, hallelujah. Every once in a while, kind of regularly, uh, I get smacked around a little bit. My mom was lightning fast. <laughs> hey, man, I could be in mid-word running my mouth. And next thing I'm doing is tasting knuckles. Hey man, the old backhand, driving down the road, pow! Well, then there was dad saying, All right, son, go to your room. It's like, Oh, help me, Jesus. My dad had a policy. Hey man, every time he sent you to the room to get a, a spanking, it was, it was four licks. Minimum. 
<laughs> the more you wiggled, the more you fought, the more that tacked on. They say confession is good for the soul, right? I don't remember ever getting four. <laughs> Praise God. There's a few extras. Amen. And then finally, got the old hands back there. Last ditch protection. Amen. One little slap with the belt and them hands move real quick. Amen. I found out from experience. And then it started in earnest. But you know what he was doing is he was trying to keep me on the right road. I had done some things that I shouldn't have done that I knew better than to do. And so some correction was needed. Because he loved me, he chastened me. If he wouldn't have loved me, he wouldn't have cared. But because he loved me, he corrected me. Let me tell you something, because God loves you, sometimes he sends correction. There's some chastening that goes on. Because he loves you. I'll just tell you again from experience, it's not fun preaching those kind of messages. Amen. That's why you need to pray for your man of God. That he can speak boldly as he ought to speak. Hallelujah. Well, that was a big sidetrack. Going back to the armor. Okay. Your loins are girded about with truth. You have the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You have the helmet of salvation. You've got the shield of faith. You've got the sword. Pray tell what of those things protects your back. Well, now she just got quiet. I don't see in here where there's any protection for your back. Unless somehow you can stuff your hand through your shield and hold it over your back while you're running. That's why he said that having done all, Stand facing the enemy. Not turning your back on him, not, not retreating, not backing away, not running in fear. No, but David, he, he said, no, I'm not running from this guy. I don't care that he's three feet taller than me. I don't care how big his sword is or how big his spear is or how heavy his shield. I don't care. I know what I have in my sling and I'm going to go because I know who's going with me and I know who goes before me. I don't care how big he is. I've got a sword that's been tested. I've got a sword that's been tried. I've got a sword that's been proven. I don't care how big he is or how long he stood there. I'm going to go knowing who goes before me. Hallelujah. 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 
He's not gonna leave you when you step out. He's not gonna leave you when you're headed towards the enemy. But he'll go with you because the battle is the Lord's. was a man born in Brewer, Maine in the year of 1828. His name was Joshua Chamberlain, very brilliant man, became a professor at Bedouin College where he taught every subject with the exceptions of science and math. He was completely fluent in 10 languages. Amen. I'm not even fluent in one. Hallelujah. Amen. The Civil War came. He supported the Union in the Civil War. He was urging his students to join up as a worthy cause. Amen. The other professors held a different view. Were not happy with how he was acting. And so they gave him a two-year leave that he could go to Europe to study languages. So he took his leave. And went from there straight to the recruiter and joined the army, the Union, where he became a lieutenant colonel in the 20th of Maine. This was a man that was untrained in warfare. This was a college professor. In June of 1863, he became the colonel commanding his regiment. July the 2nd of 1863 was the day where Joshua Chamberlain had his moment. You see, we're all going to have moments in life. And that was the day that Joshua Chamberlain had his moment. It was the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg. They put him into place on the extreme left of the Union line. He was the end of the line. Placed on a hill called Little Round Top. Troops from the 15th Alabama Infantry Regiment kept attacking him over and over and over. His line was bent back to where it was almost completely around itself, almost in a U-shape. And Reports began coming to Joshua Chamberlain. They were getting low. Something that's very necessary is ammunition. And so he began to send runners to the back to try to get some ammunition And nobody was coming, nothing was coming, and finally the reports kept coming. Some men only had a few rounds left, and there were some that even ran completely out and had none. It was getting very bleak. And all of a sudden, there began to be a rumble down the hillside again as the 15th of Alabama began once again to make their charge up the hill again. And here he was with men with no ammunition. And so, you know, a lot of folks figured that would be a good time to skedaddle and get out of there. But Joshua Chamberlain, an untrained soldier, he he did what actually is considered a classic tactic when he issued the command to fix bayonets. And as the 15th of Alabama came running up the hill, Amen. He sounded the call 
to charge. And they charged in a wheeling formation, came down and routed the 15th of Alabama. They turned and ran. They captured 101 prisoners and drove them completely off the hill. Won a resounding victory. Joshua Chamberlain that day won the Medal of Honor for his action. Tonight, we are all aware that we are under attack. Amen. We have felt it. We have been fighting. Amen. We have felt with victory. We have felt like we are starting to conquer. I'm telling you, the enemy is gathering himself for another charge. And it's time to fix our bayonets and say, ha, this time we're going to fight to the death. We're going to drive you out of here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's never been a bayonet charge that did not require a thing called unity. Amen. I've never been a soldier. I've never been in true combat. Okay? So I've got to tell you a story from play combat. Amen. Told some of the guys this story last night, and it's on my mind fresh, so we're going to tell it again. But we was playing this cool game called paintball, and uh, playing with a group of guys, and the way they were playing, it, man, is, uh, well, I don't know how to say this nicely, but I was at a church, I was evangelizing, and the pastor of that church does not like to lose. And so what he did is he gathered together the, the three best paintball players with him, and they would go hide in the woods. And then all of us chumps that had never played before would go hunt them. Amen. Like lambs led to the slaughter. Praise God. And so we, we were getting tired of losing, folks. Now, I'm not one. I, I've got a little bit of competitive streak in me. And after a while, it starts to come out. You, you, you stump us a few times and it's going to come out. Okay. And uh, so we were sitting there, and I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I said, they're going out there and hiding, and what they'd do is they'd go out there, we'd give them a few minutes, and they'd yell they were ready, and then off we'd go hunting them. And we were sneaking in after them. And they was getting so set up, man, we couldn't find them. They was wearing camel, they was hiding. The first thing we knew about them was when they splattered us with 15 paintballs. I mean, it was just, and so I said, you know what? We was talking, it's like, how are we going to do this? I said, let's just charge them. Get them before they're ready. And so there were six of us. They're like, man, great idea. Let's do it. Blah, 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 blah. Good friend of mine said, man, there was, he was all take up the side. I said, all right. And me and this other big old huge guy, hey, man, he's a real smart fella. Hey, man, there was one point in time he got his tattooed up the side because he was hiding behind a tree about yay wide. Uh, he was about yay wide. Hey, man. And so he's sneaking there around the tree. I'm like. Hey, he's a good guy, though, okay? So we're like, okay, we'll just do it. So they said, ready. I said, let's go. And I took off charging, me and this big guy. The other guy, we went up the side. And, and I get halfway in there. And, man, there they are all in a big group huddled up talking because they were expecting us to sneak in there. And so, boy, we, we hopped in there. And I turned around and looked to see where the rest of the guys were. And three of them were still back at the starting point, sneaking through the trees. So me and this big guy, we lit, we, we lit them up with paintballs. And, man, I'm firing for all I'm worth. Hey, man, if there's paint in the gun, I'm shooting it. Praise God. And so I'm just pop, 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 pop. And then all of a sudden, the worst sound you could ever hear in a paintball gun. If any of y'all played paintball before, that's when you've ran out of air. Praise God. And you're toast because you can't shoot no more. 
And right as I ran out of air, the big guy with me ran out of paintball. So we was both fixed. We had half of them done, and the other half running like cockroaches under a spotlight. And there was nothing we could do about it because the other three that were supposed to be with us were still back at the truck. So guess what happened? We lost again. Because you cannot have a charge without unity. I read this scripture last week, or I think in Ecclesiastes 4 and 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Uh, again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. Uh, and a threefold cord uh, is not quickly broken. Uh, I'm telling you, I would much rather go into a fight uh, with numbers on my side. Uh, not by myself, uh, but with two or three with me. Uh, I'm telling you, because you can send uh, the enemy to flight. But woe to him who thinks he can do it all alone. I'm going to say this tonight because I believe it with everything in me. You'll never have revival without unity. You will never have a great move of God without complete unity. As long as we allow our little differences to come and hinder the move of God and hinder what God's trying to do. I'm telling you, we are not an instrument in the hand of God, but we become an instrument of the enemy. I believe it was in the Vietnam War that the propaganda was always trying to develop disunity and trying to bring a wedge and make them disbelieve their government, disbelieve their leaders. And I'm telling you, that enemy's still trying that in the church of the living God, trying to get our little petty differences to stop what God wants to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I believe that means more than just dying for somebody. Well, I believe a lot of that is laying down our own wills and desires because we love somebody. You say, well, that's good to say it that way because I don't love so-and-so and I don't love so-and-so. And if you don't love them, you don't love God. At least that's what the word of God says. So we better love each other. So we better be willing to lay down our wills for the good of the church.
Well, I'm not going to worship tonight because I don't like this song. Or I don't like the singer or the song leader. But when somebody else gets up there, then I'll go ahead and worship. I tell you what, we've got to throw that junk as far away as we can throw it. It don't matter who's singing. don't matter what they're singing. I ain't doing it for you or anybody else. I'm here to lift him up. I'm here to see him perform what he wants to do. Hallelujah. I'm going to step out a little bit on thin ice right now. I'm going to tell you it don't matter if my son and your son get in a fight. I'm still going to put my arm around you. We're going to worship together. Because if your son hangs out, I don't care who it is, if he hangs out with my son, my son's probably going to get mad at him and try to take him down. Okay, because that's just the way my kid is. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. But if your son gets mad and takes my son down, I ain't going to get mad about it. I tell you what, sometimes we get our little dander up because our little Joe or little Susie is getting messed with. I'm telling you what, get rid of that garbage. We're not here to cause division. We're here to see a move of God. I know my children are going to cause issues. They're kids. They're not always going to get along. But God forbid we would allow that to affect a relationship with a brother or sister. Well, my baby wasn't invited, so what? Get over it. I want revival. Well, a bunch of people went to eat and didn't ask me, get over it. Grow up a little bit. We're here to have a move of God. Hallelujah. Every bit of those things that go on, I know they go on because we're flesh. But I'm telling you, we better fight against it. That we can be unified. That we're fighting together. That we can run the enemy out of this house. And they used to be my pastor. Preached one time. Revival many, many years ago in a church. Boy, he said it was the deadest, driest thing he'd ever experienced in his life. He said they couldn't get a move of God for nothing. Hadn't grown in years. Just the same old group. Nothing was happening. I forget how many weeks they were into the revival. And all of a sudden, one night, there was a man on this side and one on that side. At the close of service, they both stepped out, began to walk around to the front, and they met right in front of the pulpit, shook hands, and hugged. And if I remember the story correctly, 
It's the first time they had talked while attending that church in over 20 years. They fell on each other's necks, crying, hugging, made things right. The whole spirit turned that night. And I forget how many they prayed through in the remainder of that revival as revival finally came. But it came when folks were willing to step up and face some things and make some things right. I know I'm treading on thin ice, and if I'm wrong, Brother Rigg make this right, but I'm telling you what, if we allow those kind of things into our life, number one, it's going to breed a root of bitterness that's going to grow, and eventually it'll choke you out and kill you spiritually. You say, oh, but you've not been there. I had a situation with somebody Amen. And we was a one-on-one meeting with our pastor. And he was in our faces. And he finally turned to the other man and told him to get out. And he looked me right in the face. I was already evangelizing. I was in my mid-twenties. He looked at me and said, I'm telling you something. He said, don't let this get a hold of you and ruin you. He said, you may be in the right in this situation. I'm not saying you're not. He said, but I want you to go out to him tonight and hug him and make it right. He said, you don't need this way in your town. You don't need this way on your life. You don't need a choke in your ministry. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But that night at the close of service, I walked over to him and hugged him and apologized. Tears running down my face because I didn't want it to hinder me. And I didn't want it to hinder the church. I'm telling you what, as long as we are flesh, there's going to be personality conflict. There's going to be those little things that we just don't get along with some people. There's some people we just don't mesh. Sometimes it's because you're too much alike. And sometimes it's because you're too much different. I don't usually get along with people that are just like me. I try to get along with everybody. But you know, people that are just like the same type personalities, if, you're trying, if you have a dominant personality, dominant, another dominant personality is going to drive you crazy. And it's going to become a, oh, hallelujah, an old dog fight to see who the real alpha male is. And how ignorant is it is when we bring that into the house of God. And we stop what God's wanting to do. And all of a sudden, the victory we're desiring, it's nowhere to be found. The move of God that we want to see is nowhere to be found. But hey, I proved I'm tougher. I proved I can sit there longer than he can. Well, congratulations. It's division. And division's going to stop that charge of victory. 
the enemy can be reeling. And some little thing happened because I'm telling you, when the enemy begins to be rocked, when the church binds together and finds that common cord, all of a sudden, that enemy is going to ramp up his attack too because he don't want to lose. He wants to take as many out as he can. And he's going to try a different avenue. Just a few weeks ago, we saw a tremendous attack. Pastor Riggin. And we rallied to the cause. Oh, there's still an Amity Abishai's in the house. It's reading in my Bible, reading, I don't remember if it was yesterday or today in the book of Mark. A man that's walking down the road. And them disciples got to arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus got a little bit upset. But you know what the problem is? Is the people of God still have that little argument now. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to get the most recognition? Who's going to be the one in front? Who's going to be the one that gets all the credit? Who... When it's a whole lot better to take the humble road. Oh, but it was my idea. You know who knows it was your idea? God knows whose idea it was. Are we trying to build a reward down here? Or are we trying to build one up there? She's a little bit tight right now. I know this ain't comfortable, but I tell you, I felt it on my heart. I told my wife today, half the church might be mad at me before I'm done, but I'm telling you what, I'm too, I'm too stubborn, I guess it is, and that's not always a good thing. We heard that the other day, but I'm telling you what, I get a little stubborn when I feel something in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Do we really want revival? Do we really want to see what God has for us? Do we really want to see God fulfill the promises he's given? Then I tell you what, it's time to lay our lives down on the altar. And if it takes it, go in and find a brother or a sister and say, I'm sorry. But I didn't do anything. My Bible says that if you bring a gift to the altar and your brother has ought against you, not you against him, to leave your gift and go find your brother and make it right. If you know somebody can't stand you, Instead of keeping your head up and saying, well, I ain't done nothing to them. They can hate me all they want to. Why don't you take the humble road? And go to them. And say, I don't know what I did. But I'm sorry. And you know what? If we're really honest with ourselves, we usually know 
what we've done. Amen. We usually know what the cause is. And go and make it right. That we can have the move of God that God desires to give us. But man, you don't know what they've done to me. You know, one of the most powerful things that I think I've ever read in the Word of God was when Jesus looked at Judas after he kissed him, called him friend. What are you doing, friend? Why are you here, friend? He knew why he was there. He knew what he was fixing to have to endure. And yet he called him friend. There's nobody in this church has done anything to you like what Judas did to Jesus. But Jesus could look him in the eye and call him friend. My Bible says that he's never lied. We may call somebody friend and not mean it. We can look someone in the eye and say, oh, I love you. Sometimes. But when Jesus said he loved us, he meant it. And when he called Judas friend, he meant it. If we're going to fix our bayonets and charge and drive out the enemy, it's going to take unity, folks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One of the biggest weapons that will destroy a move of God, destroy revival. It's an old filthy word that we call gossip. Say, well, I ain't never said nothing that ain't true. Well, if it's done with the intent to hurt or harm, it's gossip. Well, I just felt like so-and-so needed to know. Really? Or did you just want to be the one to spread it? You know what you should do when you hear something about somebody? Number one, you shouldn't listen to it. But if you do know something about somebody, you should talk about it. But you should talk about it to him. Somebody don't like that. But I'm telling you, it's the number one thing that will destroy a move of God. Destroy that unity. Destroy what God's wanting to do. Hallelujah. I know I've been guilty of... We all have. I'm telling you what, if we sit here today and say, oh, I've never said nothing bad about somebody, let me tell you something, you're a liar. 
Because we've every one of us have done it. But just because we've all done it does not make it right. I've gotten together with some folks and we've had a bath session and when the time was over, I felt like going and taking a bath. You don't leave that place feeling clean and feeling right. I just want to go fall on my face and cry out for mercy. It's what we need to do. Because sowing discord is still just as much an abomination unto God as homosexuality. It's listed, I'm telling you, it's just as much an abomination. Hallelujah. But somehow if God would help us to bind together in that unified force that we can run at that enemy. Hallelujah. I remember one time as a boy, my dad, he, my dad wasn't scared of much. In fact, I don't remember him being scared of anything. He wasn't a big man. He's only five foot seven. He's tough and he had, he's well endowed with what we call little man syndrome. Amen. Never saw someone he wasn't willing to tackle. And I can remember many times my dad managed low income apartments. These people would come on that were not allowed on the property that had been legally kicked off the property. You know, the, the what, smart thing to do probably would have been pick up telephone, call police to come deal with it, but not Dad. There was this one point we had this man, assistant manager of our apartments that was him and Dad together, and there was these two men came on the property that were not supposed to be there. My dad said, come on, let's go get them out of here. And he took off after them guys. This guy that was his assistant manager, he was six foot one, almost 300 pounds, big old boy. And he stood there and watched as my dad went after them two guys. Right behind you. <laughs> Got your back. I can see your back. <laughs> he didn't move a muscle. Dad went and took them two dudes on by himself, booted them out of there, turned around. And there that guy was clear across the parking lot, still standing there. Dad got back over and he said, where were you? He said, I was right here. I was watching in case they did anything. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes in our walk with God and in this spiritual warfare, when there's no unity, that's what happens. Boy, there'll be a handful of folks that gets that burden, takes off after that enemy. Everybody says they're together. And all of a sudden you find there's just one or two out there doing all the fighting. Amen. It ought not to be so. But we ought to be together. Fighting together. Unified in our minds. Unified in our hearts. Desiring to see the same thing. Hallelujah. A house that's divided against itself can never stand. Those, those Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, man, he casts out spirits by the power of Bezabel. Jesus looked at him and said, how can Satan cast out devils? 
A house that's divided cannot stand. It never happens that way. And I'm telling you, a house that's divided in this spiritual warfare, I'm telling you what, it's not going to have the victory it could have. Oh, there might be little ones along the way, but it's not going to have that ultimate victory. What would have happened that day Joshua Chamberlain issued the charge? If only the few that had ammunition would have jumped up and charged. Or what would have happened if only the ones that had no ammunition, had nothing else to fight with, would have charged? The reason they had victory was because as a unified front, they stood up and together charged a weakened enemy. And I'm telling you, if we want victory tonight, it's going to take binding together and charging as a unified front. Hallelujah. If you'd stand with me tonight, I apologize for taking so long tonight. Hallelujah. I want to see God move. I want to see the revival that God has promised this church. Hallelujah. I want to see a building program. Amen. I want to see this property over here being utilized. Hallelujah. But I'll tell you what it's going to take, I guess. I don't know where it's at. I think it's over there. Amen. I pointed the right direction. Hallelujah. But it's only going to happen when we bind together. Hallelujah. When we can pray with each other and mean it. When no matter who's the one at the front praying that we gather together and fight together with them. That it's not this faction or this faction or not this clique or that clique. That clique garbage doesn't belong in an apostolic church. Hallelujah. It don't belong anywhere. I'm telling you what, we better bind together. When we come into this house, there's not our friends or their friends. We're together, fighting together, desire to see God move together. Because we want revival. We want victory. And it only happens when we are together. Hallelujah. Tonight, if you would, if you'd just come stand in the front tonight at the close of this service. Hallelujah. I told you I had a launching point, didn't know where I was landing. Amen. And half of what I've preached tonight ain't nowhere near my notes. 